Hello, my name is Carl Lloydhauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because he loves you so much. If you don't know who I am, my name is Ken. I am the executive pastor here on staff, and I get to work with all the wonderful staff members that make things happen around here. And this is like uh, well, a couple of days ago. It's my seventh year of being back on staff, which is awesome, and I love it. So, uh, yeah, for me, that's a long time. <laughs> uh, so it's my privilege to talk with you and pick up where uh, Carl left off last week when this sermon series is, I am ready and, uh, and willing. That's what he said. And he proclaimed last week that we are willing and because we say yes. So I am ready, and today's message is to obey and follow. Uh, so that's what I'm going to be talking about for a little bit, and hopefully you'll follow along and it'll make sense to you. Um, how many of you recognize that the church is not this building? Come on. Because the institutionalized church it's all about the facility and programs and assimilating itself with culture. Uh, this church has intentionally separated itself to stand out to be some salt in this community, which I love, and that's a part of you. Now, when I make reference to church uh, this morning, I'm going to be talking about us. I'm not talking about the institutional church. I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about us. So let's keep that in mind as I move on. Paul uh, in Ephesians, and if you have your Bible and you'd like to turn to Ephesians, go to chapter 4. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, he makes several points here about the church. And he says specifically that Jesus is the head of the church. And that when he ascended, he did certain things for the church, which is us. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it basically says, Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And so I just want to make it known to all of us who are believers in this room, who have accepted Christ, we're disciples, you're called. No exception to the rule. And the institutionalized church will say, basically, the person who's up here, they're the ones who's called. And if you have that thinking, you need to change it. Or if you're thinking, well, the staff, we're paying them, they'll do it. Or if you're thinking somebody else will do it, you're wrong. Every one of us are called. Called specifically. You've been gifted a particular way, whether you realize it or not, and the challenge is for you to figure that out, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. And we're going to continue to talk about this. But every one of us are called, and the reason that we're called is because our assignment here on this planet is the Great Commission go and make disciples and disciple those people. It's not just up for the evangelists to do this. Extended grace, that's their job. No, it's your job. It's your job to lead people to Jesus Christ. That's our ministry. That's our call. And every one of us are called to that. So the next point in Ephesians is verse 11. 
And it talks about the diversity of gifts. There's the apostle, the prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. And Paul says that as when Christ went up into the heavens, he gave these gifts to the church so that they can minister in their community. And what I love about this, it's not gender-based. He gave these gifts to the church. And that's uh, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher. And this room is full of those gifts. They may not have been uh, recognized, and you may not understand it, and you may be saying, nope, I'm out of the loop. You know, I'm over 72. Forget that nonsense, too. It doesn't work. Because when you're a participant in the kingdom of God, you're a participant in the kingdom of God till you go home to be with Jesus. That's how long your calling lasts. So it's our goal here is to help you figure out what that calling is. Because you'll do it differently than I will. Praise God, you'll probably do it right. You'll do it differently than Carl does. But if you think this is it, this is, this is the call right here. This is it. You're wrong. There's so much more. And we cannot allow the institutionalized form of church regulate what Jesus is saying in his word that brings vitality and life to his people and to a community. And the mission is, is that we will equip the saints for ministry and edify the body in verse 12, that we will make disciples and we will disciple them. And purpose is, is that we'll grow up and be a whole body. We won't be a fragmented body. We'll be a people who work together. It was so awesome Friday night. We had the Gracies and we were able to celebrate uh, our dream team members and how all that came together and how that worked and was put together. It was amazing to me because I, I just love these little things, is that on Thursday afternoon at one o'clock, we came in here, moved out all these chairs, put up tables, set the tables, and we were done for the Gracies for Friday night in an hour and 10 minutes. It was unbelievable. And then when Friday night was over with, we had to take all that stuff down and get these chairs up and ready for us to sit in here today. That took one hour. To me, that's when the body is working together to get a lot of stuff done. That means that my hand is dependent on the shoulder. And if you're the shoulder and you're not showing up, I can't do anything. Because I need you to do what I need to do. And you might be the shoulder in the body. You might be the knee in the body. It doesn't matter who you are. You're important to Jesus. And it doesn't matter your age. You're important to Jesus. Because there's a calling on your life. Jesus never envisioned his church to be run by the religious, religious elite. When he set up his church in the beginning, do you know there wasn't any Pharisees or Sadducees running the show? You realize that? He, he called out 12 guys, the disciples. What kind of people were they? They were rednecks. I mean, look at them. They were people who the elite would not have anything to do with. And yet, this is the ones that Jesus called. And look around in the room, folks. We're called. You're called. We need each other. So his idea about starting the church was 
typically and specifically non-religious. Let's just review the record for just a second. There's a slide we want to put up. It starts with Peter, James, and John. There it is. And they were in the food industry. And they were fishermen. Uh, there was Matthew. <laughs> uh, he was the tax collector. And aren't you glad that God saves people in the IRS? <laughs> and he can use those people. Paul, he was an RV manufacturer because he was a tent maker. Luke was a medical doctor. The Ethiopian was the first convert banker. Dorcas was a manufacturer of inner garments. Lydia, upscale clothing material distributor. Cornelius, senior military officer. Simon the Tanner, he was into leather goods. Now look, in this room, there are all kinds of people that do a lot of things. And these guys... They were called and they participated in ministry back in those days. That's who Jesus used to start his church. And guess what? That's who Jesus is calling today are the non-religious ones to continue his work here in this community. Our goal here is, is that we want heaven to come down and meet Montrose. That's powerful to me. Heaven come down and meet Montrose. And I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that connection. I really do. And so what we're looking at is this point that if Jesus goes to all this trouble to do church that way, which was the complete opposite of what people were doing in the traditional sense, he's basically saying, you're not supposed to be a part of the culture of this place. You're supposed to be the counterculture. You're supposed to be the opposite of what everybody else is doing. That's why I called you. So I have this high dollar uh, uh, little box here. That's my illustration. I spent a lot of time getting this ready for you. I hope you appreciate it. Um, let's just say this part right here is the world. This is a culture that surrounds us. This is what people say is right. And everything else that's being shoved down our throats and let's say this side right here is the Word of God. This is Jesus. And this is what we're constantly dealing with. Somewhere along the line, this has got to quit being flipped. Well, I don't want to offend my friends. You know, and, and to be honest, it's really easy to be doing what everybody else is doing. So, I, you know, I just kind of like to live here a little while. This is, you know, I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. And Jesus is saying, yeah, but you need to be obedient to me. You need to be obedient to the word. And the choice is up to who? Come on, point them out. It's up to us. So I'm going to put my high dollar illustration down. And so here we are looking at this whole thing about the culture and the sad part about it is is that institutionalized church has become basically assimilated in culture and you can't tell them differently than you can anything else and Jesus is saying that's not what I've called you to do I've called you to stand out and to be something different and how in the world can the church be salt if we keep candy coating the scripture Listen, folks, we're in a time, in a space, in a period here where people need the truth so that they can walk in 
honesty and they can walk in the, with the ability to make correct decisions. And we have a lot of people around us who are messed up, who need Jesus. And we need to make it hard on them to go to hell. Right now, it's really easy for them to people to slide because the gate is wide for them. And we need to be able to get with them and talk with them. The scripture that really just comes to my heart and mind that is so important to me right now uh, is that God's kindness leads to repentance. And that's my thing for myself personally this year is to be a kind person. Uh, I, I want that kindness to lead to repentance. I, I want to build relationships with people. I want to be able to speak honestly with people uh, because of that kindness that's there. And men, some of us, especially all of you who are a number eight, whether you know it or not, you are task-driven, result-oriented, you are a confronter, we need kindness. We need kindness. So take it on as a challenge to be kind and let the Lord lead that way. So what's keeping us from obeying and following Jesus today? What's in, the, what's in your path, what's in your life that keeps you from obeying and following Jesus? And we've examined a lot of things and talked about some things, but right now I want to give you a definition of the cultural Christian. Have you ever heard that term before, a cultural Christian? There's actually a definition for that. And here we go. It should be on the board right there. It says, it refers to an individual who identifies with or is associated with Christian cultural practices, traditions, or values without necessarily adhering to the core biblical teachings of Christianity or actively participating as a disciple of Jesus Christ following the path that he laid out. That's a mouthful. And my challenge today in the obedience and following is hopefully we're not cultural Christians. Because cultural Christians, they just say, yes, I believe in God. And there's a lot of people who believe in church, who believe in God, who believe in the Bible, but they don't practice it. They don't participate. And there's a big difference in both of those. And that's what we want to address today is this whole thing about cultural Christianity and how that keeps us from being obedient and following Jesus. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it's much easier. It's just much easier to do what the crowd's doing than it is to do what Jesus says to. Why? It's because what we're talking about is countercultural. It's different. It stands out. It represents Christ in the community. And that calling that we have on our life is to see this community turn around and accept Christ and follow his principles and follow his words. Lamentations 3.40 says, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. And it's on that anvil of self-examination can God change and shape a man or a woman into his image. So you have to be willing to go before Jesus and say, test me, check me out. What am I doing wrong? I don't want to do this anymore. I want to follow you and obey you. Um, share something a little personal. Some of you have heard 
a little bit of the story, but I'm just going to share a little bit with you. Back in 2003, uh, Eloise and I moved from Colorado Springs and took a church in Lakewood, Colorado. We'd been there for about three months, and that's when she was diagnosed with cancer. And then she ended up having three surgeries and six months of chemotherapy, and I got mad. I was mad the whole time. I was ticked off. I mean, I walked around with a mad on all the time because I could not believe that God would allow something like this to happen. How in the world? And I, I want to tell you how cultural Christianity can, can sneak in on you because I'd been in the ministry for some time and here I am, I'm ticked off with God because I feel entitled because somewhere along the line, I'm saying, God, hey, I'm in the ministry. Don't I get a pass? Nope. And what it began to do was expose the rottenness within me because here I am a pastor and here I am trying to tell people about Jesus and I'm doing it from a cultural Christianity perspective that was completely wrong. Now there's parts of what I was doing was right, parts of it was wrong. And it was about a year later, about somewhere around the first of uh, 2004, we had a speaker come and he challenged us and he said something that impacted my life and still impacts it to this day. And it's a part of my theme. And is if you can learn to trust the character and nature of God, then you can trust him in all things. If you can't trust him in all things, well, then what are you trusting? So when something happens, then you realize that God is still in control. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't given up on you. You're not playing the ball game that uh, the devil wants to play and saying, why, why, why? How many of us have played that game? Something happens and we go, why? Notice the whine. Why? You know, the devil loves for us to get on that merry-go-round and just spin it around, spin it around, spin it around because we spend more time asking why than going to the throne and saying, yes, Lord, I am yours. Do with me as you wish because he's in control. And I had to surrender. I, I had to call up Eloise's dad because I promised him that if he would give me her hand in marriage, I'd take care of her. I'd take care of her the best I could. The day that uh, she was diagnosed, I called him and I was crying. I said, I can't fix this. I don't know what to do. Because I'm a fixer. I fix things. And I couldn't fix it. But the Jesus did. You see, I'm talking about something that's super important for us in these days and times. Because stuff is going to happen to us. Stuff is happening right now, Correct? Things are not always going right. And this entitlement thing, we're kind of going, well, why? I thought if I did this, this, and this, I, you know, I'd be on the good side and this wouldn't happen. Well, baloney, it does happen. Where are we going to go with it? Are we going to the playground with the devil and ask why? Or are we going to stand there and go, Jesus, I'm surrendered. I'm all yours. I'm all yours. You've called me. Can you use me through this? And listen, uh, if I had Eloise come up right now, she'd say she wouldn't change a thing because it radically changed her life as it radically changed mine. So it brings me to another thing that I realized. 
that I was serving the God I wanted and not the God who is. And I'm telling you, there's a world of difference, folks. And we need to pay attention to that phrase. Are you serving the God you want? Or are you serving the God who is? Because if you're serving the God you want, uh, you're, you're going to have problems. You're, you're going you're to be asking why all the time. Because you don't understand his character and his nature. I'm at the place right now in my life where I believe in God. I just don't believe God. I believe God. I believe he is who he says he is, and I believe he can do what he says he can do. And this is what I'm encouraging all of us to get to that point because of the times that we live in, the things that are going on around us. We need to be on steadfast ground. Um... I want to tell you a story, and it relates to me again. It's a different one. How many of you are familiar with the prodigal son story? Okay, I don't relate to that kid at all. Because I was a good kid. I was just a good kid. I didn't cause any trouble from mom and dad. I never got in trouble at school. I never got in trouble with nothing. I never did anything wrong. Uh, I was a good kid. But I was a messed up kid. Because the way I was taught about God was about you got to do this, this, and this, and then you're a good Christian. It was all emphasis on the outside, nothing about internal change. So who I do relate to is the other kid who stayed home. He was faithful. He was loyal. He was a hard worker. He didn't disappoint his dad. He was there to do everything he's supposed to do. And he was on task. He was on duty. And then, guess what happens? His younger brother comes home after wasting his fortune. He's a mess. He smells like pigs. And of all things, his dad runs out there and gives him a great big bear hug and loves on him. He gives him a ring, he gives him shoes, he gives him a new, a new cloak, and the kid who stayed home is ticked. Because now we're going to have a party. You're giving him a party. You've never given me a party. What about me? What about me? And that's who you're looking at. <laughs> See, I relate to that person. And that person is a messed up person. Now, I find it very interesting to, to think that I don't believe the whole story is about those two boys at all. Because who's telling the story? Jesus is telling the story. And, and, and guess what? The father that he's using in that story, he's talking about his dad. He's talking about our heavenly father. This is the way our heavenly father is. And you guys grew up with him, and neither one of you understand him. You lived with this man, but you didn't understand him. You don't understand his character, his nature. He is a loving father. Why wouldn't he go out and do this for his son who's come back? Well, I don't want to party. You know, I, I want to work. You see, I, I, would get, I would get jealous, you know, if I was... Uh, I'm pastoring the church and I'm busting myself to do everything right and the guy down the street, he's like a jerk and his church grows. What? How does this work? I don't get it. That's not what it's about. 
That's not what it's about at all. And so the whole idea of the story is, is that we need to learn about the character and the nature of God. And then when we learn to trust the Father's character and his nature, then we can trust him in all things. Uh, let me ask you this question. Are you a cultural Christian? Are you serving the God you want instead of the God who is? Let's, let's look at some things that might help us clarify that statement. Let's put them on the screen. Cultural Christianity is the tendency to be shallow in our understanding of God, wanting him to be more of a gentle grandfather type who spoils us and lets us have our own way. It's sensing the need for God, but on our own terms. It is wanting the God we have underlined in our Bibles without wanting the rest of him too. Uh-oh. Have you ever noticed what you underline in your Bible? Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. What about the rest of it? Isn't it good? This is why we got to learn to serve the Lord who is and not the God that we want. It's embracing God's relative instead of God absolute. In other words, we try to make him like us. And we bring him down to our terms instead of him saying, this is absolutely the way it's supposed to go. It's allowing the culture to influence us above the word of God. And when we try to have the best of both worlds, we exchange the truth of God for a lie and the glory of God for idols. Engrossed in the world, we worship created things instead of the creator. And we're living out right now Romans chapter 1, where it says the time will come when people will worship the created and not the creator. Have you noticed? It's all around us. And let me tell you, I have said this before and you may have heard it from me. You can't straddle the fence. It hurts. And especially if it's barbed wire and you got on a new pair of jeans. It gets messy. And I'm going to say this out of kindness. Trust me, this is kindness I'm working on. I'm going to say this, that it's better for you to be cold than it is lukewarm. Because God can do something with you when you're cold, but when you're lukewarm, he says, it makes me sick to my stomach. I'd rather you be hot or cold. And, and I just want to give a word of encouragement to all of us who have a child, we have a brother, a sister, an aunt, uncle, a father, a mother who are cold to the gospel. Jesus can work on them. Jesus can get after them. It's us who we call ourselves Christians and we're straddling the fence between what's culturally accepted and what's not culturally accepted. What does the Bible say? That's the line we walk. You with me? Does this make any kind of sense at all? We've got to walk the line that Jesus Christ says walk and not the one that's established for us by our culture. Um, instead of wanting to please God by doing what he says right, we do what seems right in our own eyes. It's reading our Bible with an agenda if we read it at all. In other words, I just open it up and I just read, oh, that was good, close it. 
Uh, there's got to be a purpose. In the credo of plan, then pray. Life is shaped more by following the herds of commerce and culture than the footsteps of Christ. Hopefully, before you make plans, you pray. And you ask the Lord, what do you want to do instead of me? Well, most of the time, I've been so guilty of, I make good plans, now I want the Lord to bless them. That's not the way it works. It's supposed to be you pray first. So here's something, a term I want to introduce to you. How many of you have ever heard spare tire Christianity? Oh, all of you. That's amazing. How did that happen? Uh, spare tire Christianity is us in the car, we're driving, this is our life, we're driving, we're going down the road that we choose to go to, I'm in charge of the steering wheel, and all of a sudden, guess what happens? I get a flat tire, I have a problem. So I get out, open up the trunk, I take Jesus out of the trunk of the car, I fix the flat tire, when it's fixed, I put him back in the trunk, I get back in the car, and I go on down the road, my way. That's spare tire Christianity. And we gotta knock that off. We cannot just use Jesus when we have a problem or ask him when we have a problem and that's the only time we ever have a communication with him. It's the only time we're interested in him is when I got a flat tire. It doesn't work that way. But see, that is the traditional form of church. See, it, we are not challenged traditionally about following Jesus. I thank God that we have the pastor that we have of this church who leads us the way that we're led because his passion is about prayer and his passion is about following Jesus. And that's why we are who we are at Grace Community, that we're known for Jesus. Because everything that we do around here is about Jesus. It's not about what we've done or what we're going to do. It's about Jesus. Some of us live like um, we forgot about him. You know, you go to work and you forget he exists. So you start talking like everybody else talks. You start thinking like everybody else thinks. You start acting like everybody else acts. That has to change because you're compromising your calling. You don't have to agree with them. And you don't have to talk with them like that. You don't have to act like that. You don't have to think like that. You just got to be who Jesus has called you to be. And if you lean towards kindness, it will lead towards repentance. It will open up a door for you to speak into somebody's life and lead them to Jesus Christ. That's our calling. God is who he is. No matter how much you want to change it, he still is who he is. And so the turning point in our life is when we stop Worshiping the God that we want and start serving the God who is. That's the turning point. Are you tired and frustrated with chasing after success? Do you have a lingering feeling that something is not right about your life? Are you practicing spare tire Christianity? Have you been living by your own best thinking and not by the obedience of God's word? These are things that we need to answer. Being a cultural Christian is like being in a hole. We're going to go to Judges chapter 6. And if you have your scripture, turn with me there. Chapter 6, 
verse 11. And I'm just going to tell you this short story about Gideon, and then we're going to close and go to worship. Uh, Gideon was in a hole and he's threshing wheat because that's the only thing he could do to keep the Midianites or the armies around him from coming and stealing it. And so he did that in a hole, threshing wheat. And he, every once in a while, he'd peek out and look out above everything. And without realizing it, this was his life. He'd created this hole, and this was his life he lived in. And then an angel came to him and said, Hey, mighty, mighty man of valor, God has a plan for your life. He would like for you to get out of the hole and come and follow and obey him. And Gideon's response is, is, I don't know who you think you're talking to, but my clan is the weakest of all, and I'm the runt of the litter. How are you going to use me to do anything? You see, he had an opinion of himself, and aren't you glad that God has a different opinion about us? And I don't know what kind of hole you have dug for yourself, be it cultural Christianity, be it addiction, be it whatever it is that keeps you from moving on in your call. Jesus today is calling you to get out of your hole. The Holy Spirit's here beckoning you to get out of your hole so that you can move on to the call that he has for your life. So as Gideon got out of the hole, he obeyed and followed, and guess what? The whole Midianite army was dis destroyed, and that's a whole different story. But he followed his call. You know why? He said yes. He just said yes. You're looking at a re redeemed redneck right here who said yes a long time ago. And between my wife and Jesus, <laughs> they have shaped me up. And every once in a while, yeah, the redneck will leak out. And I don't know what kind of impression you have about yourself. I don't know what you think about yourself. But you need to understand that God thinks a total different way about you than what you think about yourself. And he's calling you out to work with him, partner with him, not for him, with him, to do what he wants you to do in life. And he wants to empower you to do that. So let's all stand. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in him. God bless you.